When you live to ticket before you kick it, it's pretty important that you power your adventure with the right nutrition. Not just when you decide to take on the biggest physical and mental challenge of your life, like I did retracing the 1928 Tour de France, but also as a part of everyday living. Working overtime on a double shift, running the kids all over town to their sporting events, adding a few extra miles to your weekly hike, or getting sleep deprived with a hectic travel schedule. I'm proud to announce Bucket Nutrition is now an official sponsor of our podcast and just for you, giving a 10% discount on all Bucket Nutritional products. Go to Amazon.com and use promo code Bucket10, that's Bucket with an IT, 10, for a 10% discount on Bucket Nutritional products. Great tasting, high performance nutrition to help you take it before you kick it. It's the Masters 2019. Tiger Woods sinks a putt to win the golf championship. The Voice of Sports announces it's a return to glory and then lets the next three minutes play out in silence. When Jim Nance speaks again, he says, I never thought we'd see anything that would rival the hug with his father in 1997, but we just did. It's an historic moment sports fans will remember forever. I couldn't go back. You just put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to live. Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I couldn't. That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Cogan. Every week I talk to mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. When we're on camera and I say hello, friends, to open yes. up a broadcast, I see my father on the other side yeah. and I see him smiling right back at me. Wow. If you're a sports fan in the United States, then chances are you know the voice of Jim Nance, a five-time national sportscaster of the year and three-time Emmy Award winner. He's the youngest broadcaster ever recognized by both the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Jim's been calling the Masters, the Super Bowl, and NCAA's March Madness since the 1980s, successfully combining his passion for sport and distinctive, soothing voice to become arguably one of the best commentators in the business ever. I caught up with Jim just weeks after Tiger Woods' mind-blowing return to glory at the 2019 Masters in Augusta, Georgia. In that winning moment, Jim, known for his colorful and insightful commentary, decided to sit back, say nothing, and let history naturally unfold. We're good? Well, you got some serious cameras going on here. Well, we have, uh, there's actually four cameras. Okay. Let me just I'm not paying this. attention to any of them. You're, no, you don't need you know. to. Uh, I am with Jim Nance, and uh, you could call this man the voice of sports, and we are here in Los <laughs> Angeles early in the morning. Yeah. And you're, you're Thanks for coming in early, by yeah. the way. <laughs> you know, I'm a working dad today. No, so. I, I like that you came in early. Yeah, I, uh, and, and I'm surprised that we managed to catch you at all because your schedule, you said you got in late last night. You went out till quite late. Yeah. And then you got up early. You've come, come in here. <laughs> and I've got my assignment for the day, helping my daughter move into a new apartment. Right. We've got, uh, you know, the internet company coming by at a at 11 o'clock, you know, and I've got to be there. She's off to work, so I've got to help the installation. i got to try to assemble some uh, some nightstands and, and some bookends and all this kind of stuff. So, so even the great Jim Nance is down there <laughs> doing what other dads have hey, to do. is there anything better than being a dad? No. Seriously, it's the, it's best, the best role of all. So I relish the chance whenever I can get 
uh, in my you know roll up my sleeves and try to get. Uh, are you know, handy? Are you? Are I'm you, not. No? It's not a strong suit at uh, all. Okay. Uh, but you know, reading these manuals and instruction books for yes. me, it's such a foreign language. It, the IKEA ones. Somebody needs yeah, to do something about that. That's exactly what I was dealing with late last night. So. Why does it take so long to put these things together? Is it us? Is it? Uh, is it? Are we just not getting the whole? I, I don't. And I'm looking at you know, screw A goes into washer B, and it goes into this slot C, and it sounds so basic, and then you start turning the pieces around, and it's it's a mess. Dirty little out. secret. I actually have gone on an app, and I'm going to bring a guy over to help me assemble some of this. Oh, is that yeah, right? Yeah. Did, yes. this, okay. So I need it. I mean, otherwise, I'm going to be there for five days. Something probably takes you know 20 minutes to do. And your daughter is, what, 23, something like that? Yeah, she's out of USC a couple years, graduated yeah. from the Annenberg School, Caroline. Very yeah. proud of her, and, and yeah, she, she loves it down here. My daughter's same age. Uh, I don't know about you, but I got I found it very difficult when she went away. And you know, it was upsetting for her to leave, but she was excited about leaving. And I just, yeah, oh, for I know about the scene. three days, I just couldn't stop I know crying. that scene when-, when <laughs> My when wife you, said, you gotta stop this. <laughs> you gotta really, you gotta pull yourself together. No, it's one of the most emotional moments of my life was dropping her off at, at school with her mom and just bawling when you're actually now going to walk away. Do guys away. talk about this, Jim? Because this is the first time I ever have, actually. Yeah, okay. is it really? okay. so it's, 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 uh, it's nice to hear. Uh, this... the, the feedback uh, is, is similar on uh, both sides. But I can still remember that I still got that scene in my head of yes. watching her turn and walk away to yes. go into her yes. dorm room and saying goodbye after a long hug, tearful, tearful hug, and sitting in my car and just like, Wow, it's like a transition in your life. I'm so Where did glad all that we're time talking go? about this. I mean, gosh, just a yesterday she was in kindergarten. I was you know, telling her nighttime stories. Oh my God, stories. you're describing yeah, exactly what happened. Yeah, it was the worst. And you know what it is to, for me was we're so used to going to our children when they're upset. We never run away from them when they're upset as kids, right? They cry. We go to them. We hug them. We comfort them. And now we're, we're here at college and same scene, my daughter's walking away, she's crying and I'm thinking, why am I turning the other way? I'm <laughs> no. meant to go hug her. Right, and, and comfort her and, and be there, her get her through be, this. Yeah. But now it's that break, it's that line of independence that she begins a new life. It yes. really is, it's a, it's a milestone day. Yeah, and nobody tells you about it. And you know, I, I've been very open about saying how upset I was. I think Rob Lowe wrote about it somewhere in a book and I, I felt this about his sons and I, and I felt tremendous comfort in knowing I wasn't like the only one who was so soft and Tough emotional. Day. Over at USC, I can still see every minute of it. And I have two small children now. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old as right. well. And um, they love their sissy. And that's, uh, that's their name for Caroline, is sissy. And um, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. What I really savor is the fact that all three of my children are so close and there's that that just that loving cocoon that environment where they just they they just can't stand to be away from each other so yeah. it's it's very special as a dad you're you're a big traveler like me and yeah. constantly on the move and one of the things i found hard was being away and getting a call from my wife that something pivotal was happening yeah. at school a performance or something and you yeah, and you had to miss them right and you had to miss it it's very hard i'm entering that stage now yeah my five-year-old uh finley uh finley uh she's she's going through the dance recital process and I'm, I'm away almost every single weekend 
40 some odd weekends a year so i'm going to miss things and my little boy jameson that's a lot Jim. he's that's three a and a half so he hasn't started the you know the t-ball or the soccer and she's going to play sports too and it's just it's going to be uh really difficult to go through that whole sequence again a second time around and miss those things because it it crushes me it really does yeah they've been world travelers i mean i'm speaking to the, <laughs> the greatest traveler of all time but, no, but. when finley our five-year-old on her 19-month birthday, she, because I, I'm, for whatever reason, I diary everything. My, uh -huh. Every day is, is documented for almost 30 years. So her 19-month birthday for Finley marked the day that she took her 100th flight. That's remarkable. Yeah, her 100th flight. That is remarkable. Well, coming from you, that's, that's amazing to hear you no, say that. No, but at yeah. that age. At that age. But I'm the same way. Yeah. We were the same way with our daughter in terms of just getting them out there and just not, just finding a way to adapt to live rather than changing the way you live. You know, like with exercise, just bring them along. Or with travel, just bring them along. I have a photograph of my daughter, her first passport photo. You can see my fingers wrapped around her head because I had to cradle <laughs> her like this. To, right, to take to the photo, the and you can actually see my fingers there. She was three weeks old when she got on, the, the minimum age before she got on her first flight and flew to New Zealand. Uh, Finley's first flight was at her 23rd day, and she flew from Monterey, California, to Augusta, Georgia for the Masters. Three day days over the cutoff. Are yeah, you kidding? Yeah, exactly right. Wow, day so many people have never been to the Masters, and yeah. your daughter got to go at 23 <laughs> days? She went at 23 days, and we did take her uh, on campus, so to speak, uh, just to be able to say that we had a picture with her there down in Butler cabin so yeah we have a we have a picture to to document that so I, I met your daughter we were at an office building here in in LA yeah years ago yeah and um she's a race fan so have you, have you ever thought of you two being a, on the amazing race <laughs> I just don't have the time <laughs> that's I mean, that, true it'd be such a thrill to do it just to, to, you to would see the places fun. that you've gone uh, and the places that you've exposed you've you've shown the world through that show um it was a great travel log. Yeah. You know, when I was a little kid, TV gave you that vehicle to be able to learn about the world and different cultures and countries and these faraway places that you thought you could never see. Travel uh, was such an exotic thing to even entertain yeah. the idea. And of course, as time goes on and people travel more than they used to, the internet brings the world closer together. But for me, the travel log show was Wide World of Sports. Yes. With Jim McKay. Al Michaels was on and that Al, as well. Al right? did, did uh, bits into that as well, but it was hosted primarily by Jim McKay. Jim McKay. And um, I, I just was mesmerized. Hey, next week they're going to be down in Acapulco with cliff diving, and then they're going to be on the Great Wall of China. And Mr. McKay, you know, he did what you do now, the yeah. modern version of it, globe trotting around. And I loved his pieces. He and was a the brilliant way that writer. They put those together, yep. yeah, it was just. Amazing writer. And I used to write him letters as a kid as a young boy. A lot of my broadcasters, voices of my youth, I, I, I call them, uh, I used to write them notes and uh, just fan mail. And I, by some miracle, I got to know them all you know, through time. I got to be uh, friends and, and uh, always admirers. And a great many of them have passed on, like, like Jim McKay's been gone 11 years now. Pat Summerall, Dick Emberg, Chris Shankle, Keith Jackson, I hate to even start rattling off the names. Kirk Gowdy. I mean, these were legendary voices that were my f imaginary friends. I'd see them on weekends come into my living room through the television. I wanted to be just 
just like them. And, um, and, and you have found a way to talk to one person. That's, I think, what is so great about your your persona. Well, thank you for saying that because that's something that it feels you start like out early in your career. Person. How do you do this? I mean, yeah. you know, there's sure you can say you had formal training, but a lot of it has to be your instincts and it has to come naturally. But I can actually credit a lot of that to Jim McKay. Um, I can remember him telling me, when you look into that camera, you're not going to see anything. It's, it's impossible to get your mind around the fact that there are going to be millions of people viewing on the other side of that lens. But you're, all you're looking at is a black hole. He says, think of someone that's on the other side. And you've heard a, a variation of that, I'm sure. I'd imagine that person is on the other side of that, of that lens, and you're talking to them. I always, when we're on camera, I'm, a, I'm an event coverage guy now. I used to be a studio guy yes. a large part of my career early on. Now I'm covering the NFL, college basketball, uh, the best golf events well, that, of course. that the, the world has to offer, I feel like, with the Masters and the PGA and other tour events. But when we're on camera and I say hello, friends, to open yes. up a broadcast. And I, I see love my, the story behind that. Well, oh, thank you. Yeah. I see my father on the other side. Yeah. And I see him smiling right back at me. Wow. And it relaxes me. Not yeah. that I'm super tightly wound about it. I've been around 34 years now doing this. But... Uh, so there's a comfort, but there's also at the same time, there's an excitement yes. about getting this right. You know, you've prepared and you've gone through the process of how are we going to do this? How do we, how do we come on the air? What is the thought we want to have there? Script, some would call it, but there are, there are not any teleprompters there. It's just, you're ad-libbing it, so to speak, but you have an idea of what you want to say and you want to get it right. It's live. Yeah. There's not a second take here. So. When I look into that camera and I want to get this sequence right, I say, hello, friends. I'm relaxed. I see my, my father looking back at me. And that intimacy reads when we see you. Well, thank you for and, saying that. And, yeah. and, and people underestimate just how difficult it is for people to do that. And it's great to know that you're thinking of your dad. And obviously there's a pride and there's also a sense of, okay, dad, I got this. I'm going to, you know, I want to tell you a great story. Let's, let's. Thank you for, for saying that. The story goes, uh, my dad was in a long, you know, of course, unwinnable battle against Alzheimer's for 13 years. And this was uh, years and years ago. Uh, I was leaving his bedside and I knew his memory was so thin that as soon as I walked out that door, he wasn't going to remember what we had just discussed. But I thought, I'm going to say it anyway. Dad, when I'm on this weekend from Minnesota, I was going to be at a golf tournament. I said, I'm going to look at that camera, and I'm going to send a little special coded message to you, like Carol Burnett, Yeah, right here on this very lot. You yeah. used to tug on the earlobe. But I wasn't going to do a, a visual thing. It was going to be something spoken. And I said, I'm going to say, hello, friends, because you have nothing but friends. And that's going to be for you. And uh, so I said it that weekend. I looked in the camera and I said, I said hello, friends on that Saturday show of a golf tournament. And I got off the air and a very good friend of mine, Eli Spielman, who had co-authored a book with me, he said, hey, I heard you come on the air today. What was that Hello Friends about? And I thought, oh, he's gonna think that's cheesy or something. And I, and I told him the backstory because it was you. It was, I just had to yeah. call you and tell you that like sounded like you. You ought, to, you ought to try it again tomorrow and see if you, if you feel comfortable delivering that line. I said, well, it's not a matter of being comfortable. It just it's, it just kind of comes out that way. That, yeah, that'll be your your on camera beginning from this point forward, and it has been for every show since. So for 17 years, you know, I've said it uh, virtually every single time. I, I, as a kid, I, I I grew up 
listening to cricket and cricket is a game that goes on for days yes. i mean the test cricket it's amazing right? how they but do it, that it, but the voices there were certain voices that like you said before they become your friends and you would turn it on and you'd be working away in the in the shed and doing some project fixing something or you might be out mowing the lawn even and have the cricket cranked up and those voices it was like you were hanging out with your friends and and when i hear your voice it's the same thing you know i feel like i know you and it, it, there must be a lot of people that meet you and feel like they know you as oh that's my friend jim i hear, and, hear it all the time it is it's uh that's got to be honor. very it really is right? it really is i uh and i like being approachable and i don't want anybody to think that oh that guy that's on tv that well, however you describe the field, yeah. uh, that's just my, I'm just being myself. You that's the be, bottom line. Yeah. I just try to be on the air who I feel like but Jim, I am that, there. That is harder than a lot of people realize, you know? And the other thing is that there can be tremendous disappointment if you're watching a great moment of sport and the person who is helping give you insight into that moment isn't the person you want to be hanging out with in that moment. And that's a, an amazing skill that you have is a sense of occasion and knowing when to talk, knowing what to say, knowing how to draw the audience along, and being selfless in terms of being able to step back when you need to as well, that's something innate that you have. And you can't, I don't know if you can teach that, because you've got to read it live, and every situation is different. Yeah, they're all under the gun, so to speak, because once it leaves your lips, you, you can't you can't pull those words back. I'm sure you've had a few that oh, have come at you like, oh, are you kidding? How about every single show? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I go back and I I have to get space and distance between finishing a Super Bowl, let's say, or a Masters broadcast yeah. before I want to go back and look at it again. Because if you the next day pop the tape in or turn on the DVR and you look at it, it's just like cringeworthy. Why didn't I phrase this in a different manner? I could have done a better job. It could have been more poetic had I said it this way. And right. that sentence is upside down. But and that's you being gosh, a perfectionist. Did I just finish that sentence with right. a preposition. What am I doing? <laughs> uh, it, it's uh, so if you're really close to it, within days of it, yeah. it, it just it doesn't feel right. But when you're on the air for three hours, just like we've been sitting here for, yeah. for a little while, Some a things. lot of sentences I'd like to have back already here, <laughs> just sitting here visiting with you. Yeah. You cannot speak. Uh, uh, in, in, in perfect English right. all the time. Um, you can try. But I think that's, too, something that you have to admire in someone who's prepared to put themselves in a window for three hours where every word is being... You're analyzing what you're seeing, but people are also analyzing what you're saying to oh, what yes, you're saying. And, and do you ever have people stop you and say, Jim, what the hell were you thinking? Or... I mean, hopefully you get a lot of positive stuff too, but there must be times like, Jim, what were you talking about? Sports fans are passionate, as you yeah, know. And absolutely. a lot of times they read into your remarks something that you had never had any attention right. of trying to make them feel a certain way. They may think that you're uh, working against their favorite team or favorite competitor. You know, they, they don't think you're cheering enough or you sounded too gleeful about something that happened for the opponent. Uh, sports fans are passionate you know they are so invested in these games so yeah there is going to always be a tremendous amount of negative feedback just because that's just that's just the nature of sports television uh, I really feel though that all of that time spent as a young boy mm -hmm. with the desire to be one of them growing up 
and listening to these broadcasts. And I'll just tell you You went to school early. I did. I mean, I was training myself, not knowing it at the time. We didn't even have the ability to record shows on television when I was a young boy. I don't know if you can relate to this, but well, VCRs. close, yeah. Okay, did not. You know, the that, 70s, right? Yeah. 70s yes. VCR? Yeah, even the even late 60s. But yeah, they probably came around, around in the late 70s. But when you had at home, yeah. you know, your CBS, ABC, and NBC affiliates, and then one or two independents, and the PBS station, you had no sports television during the week, and you waited till the weekend to come along to get your fill, your volume of sports television, and I would live with it all the rest of the week. Now, how I would do that was I would record on an audio deck the sporting events. I would wrap a little mic cord around the television dial. We didn't have remote controls, so the television. <laughs> oh, you mean you had to turn? Yeah, the you channel. had to get up out of your I'm, seat. I'm Can you imagine how crazy that was? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and you turn the channel, but I would wrap around that channel uh, dial. Uh, a mic cord and it would drop out right below the audio output and I would sit there and have a perfect record of the NFL game of the week whatever the basketball game was the golf tournament I could hear Jim McKay Jack Whitaker I could hear over and over again the pitch of their voice their inflections the way they came on the air the spoken word it was it was poetry to me yeah and I go back and I you know, hit play wow how did he do that I'd hit rewind it, listen to that open again and again and again and again. Isn't it wonderful to think that you had this vision of what you wanted to do at 10 years old? Don't you wish old 10-year-olds so yes. could could start there, you know, start out at 10 and know that's what I want to do? You're very Well, I loved lucky. ABC Sports as a kid. They yeah. had the Olympics and they had three of the four majors in golf mesmerized completely uh, enchanted by everything I saw and heard. And I wanted to be one of those voices. I wanted to have that knowledge that they had. Yeah. Since I was, I, I've always said 11, since I was 11, I made a declaration to my parents that one day I wanted to do this for a living. I wanted to be one of those voices. It had nothing to do with wanting to be on television. Were they supportive of that? Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and they made me feel like that was completely plausible. Doable. Doable. Yeah. They didn't ever say, well, son, you know, you might want to, yeah, think of something else because that's going to be difficult to attain. That, I never got any kind of pushback on it. Let me dream. Yeah, let me dream. And that's don't you think that is such an important thing for parents to let their kids do? I remember our our daughter said, "I want to be a professional photographer, a professional tennis player, and a wildlife vet." And and I remember stopping myself from being practical about the chances of that happening because I just wanted her to believe that it was possible. If you don't believe it, it's not gonna happen. Right. You can't achieve it. And dreaming, kids are so good at it, they're like sponges. And the idea that you were able to dream the way you did, and then now later in life, you said 34 years you've been a-, a My life is exactly the way I tried to map it out as a young kid. I mean, I'm followed my calling. I'm not trying to yeah. veer you into another it, uh, it, area yes. of discussion here Which about my wine brand. Yeah, we'll get to that good. later, yeah. maybe. But, but I really believe in that idea yeah. of setting a goal and whatever it is, being OCD about it, I mean, yeah. just absolutely owning it, hyperventilating about the idea you're yeah. gonna pull this off. And I did, I could so see myself in this role. Not a sense of entitlement, yeah. it's just I dreamt it so hard that by the time that opportunity came along, I felt like I'd been there. Did you I, want to be a pro athlete as well? No, you had no, no interest I, in, I, no, I. Were I, you playing sports? I was playing sports, I was playing high school basketball, I tried football. Uh, I was on the golf team in, in high school, and then I was on the golf team in college, University of Houston. Mm -hmm. 
proudly so, right? Well, yeah. you you were at uh, university with Fred Couples. We were roommates. Roommates. Blaine McAllister, who won five times on the tour. John Horn, who who uh, was on the tour for a couple years back in the late '80s. So the four of us roomed together our sophomore and just for years. some context for people who don't know who those are. They're, Freddie's a Masters Fred, champion. Absolutely. You know, he's he's a Hall of 1992, Famer. 1992. 92. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. April 12th, 92 was the day that he won, and I was there to give him the green jacket, which was pretty cool because when moment. you're in college, he wants to win the Masters. I want to broadcast the Masters. And, and one day you can won. only dream about. Hey, one day our lives are going to intersect yeah. at one place, Butler Cabin. What a moment! Yeah. Right? We actually saw oh. our lives intersect exactly where we thought it would, you know, one day, or where they would. And that was not an easy interview to conduct. Why is that? Because you're sitting across from a guy that you love as a brother, and, you know, you're on, and at this point now, every world feed is patched into the uh, Green Jacket ceremony, so you're on in 208 countries and territories around the world. Forget all that. I never worry about that anyway. But the fact that you're sitting across from a guy that you know what it meant to him in his heart, you've known his entire family. You knew his mom and dad. You knew his brother and sister. You know everybody and everything in his life. You live with him in college. And now he's had this lifetime achievement. And it's just emotional. I mean, it was it was my voice was a quiver and you were you, I was choking hard. Choking I was up. just trying to get through this thing. And there's no backstop here. There are no commercials. There's no one that if I just like passed out, you know, no one's going to be able to pick us up and take us off the air and get us to 60 minutes. Um, I'm the last line of defense, so to speak. That um, was a weighty moment and it really strengthened me as a broadcaster. It was hard to get through it. I'm not going to kid you. Yeah. And it was hard. But hard, hard to get Freddie through too. in a good way. Like hard the audience. Hard yeah. look across at me because he, same thing, you know, yeah. we, and this gets back to your point a minute ago. When we were in college. Yeah. Uh, you know, I come to college announcing one day I'm going to work for CBS. It's just a matter of time before they discover me, right? Yeah. Um, of course. We've well, no, been training not, since you were 10. Right, right exactly. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's no arrogance or sense of entitlement. But you do have kids in college who today maybe could be a little snarkier about that kind of declaration. It might be, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're going to do that. I'm going to fly to the moon. Good, good luck with good that. Good for you. Yeah. There was never any um, skepticism. Uh, it was just it was it was met with positivity, and I felt the same way about them. They had large goals to be on the PGA Tour, win the Masters, and it was so supportive. I mean, we were in such a cocoon there in college, of uh, building one another up, not down. Not there was no ridicule. Don't we need more of that, oh, Jim? Be nice. I don't know how you ever get back there. We didn't even have to worry about social media back then. Yes. By the way, I still don't worry about it because I'm not involved in it. <laughs> uh, but I know I'm one of the last dinosaurs. But when we were in school, none of that existed. And, and, and with the sarcasm that wasn't that wasn't in our DNA. Yeah. It's like, oh, you want to win the Masters? Hey, I'd introduce Fred. This is my friend Fred Couples. You know, one day he's going to win the Masters, gonna and he's the... going to be there to announce it when I win. That's oh. the way we dealt and yeah. operated. Isn't that wonderful? It is wonderful. It sounds like a dream and it sounds too good to be true, but it is true. It is true. It's true. Yeah, I'm interested in in the emotional attachment that you might have to some sport. Like, let's say you're commentating and, and Fred Couples is playing. I mean, he's a guy that you yeah. really care about. You you don't want to see him hit one into the rough. I had you to want... deal with that a long time, Phil. But, you know, he's 60 now <clears> and he's uh, he's toward the end of his competitive days, his back's just not healthy, and uh, you know he's long left the regular tour, though he still plays as a Masters winner. He still plays in the Masters tournament. It was always a difficult thing trying to call, call Fred 
uh, call a, a moment in Fred's career, whatever it might be, a rank-and-file tour event, a major championship, and treat him like I don't know him. But I, you know, I had... I had to at times keep it completely professional. Even yeah. when, when he won the Masters and he was in Butler Cabin, the first two or three questions were questions I would have asked the champion regardless of who it might be. And then at the end I said, well, I looked right at him and I said, um, I have to say that back when we were in college, and at that point Fred goes like this, I can't even look at you. Uh-oh, what story's oh, going to hey, come no, out? No, no, he was afraid he was going to oh. completely melt down. Oh. And once he does, I mean – like same for me it, it, it's really hard to kind of pull yeah. yourself out of it so he was getting emotional and just said we used to say all of your buddies we used to say someday you're going to be wearing the green jacket <sighs> and i had to personalize it i mean yeah. what are the odds that's going to happen yeah so that's one of like you know one of the definitely top five moments of my career if not the top we live at pebble beach california if you can't just have a, a natural appreciation for the game, just being right there, uh, one of the iconic, if not the greatest golf destination in the world. I heard a rumor my, you have the, a replica of the seventh hole somewhere. Two, yeah. Is that right? Well, the seventh hole is the famous yes. 100-yard par three. Yeah. Got married. We, we got married there uh, on that tee. Courtney and I got married. Uh, you got some pull, Jim. To be, oh, hey, was, you got some pull. That <laughs> yeah, was a good one. Got to dream big. <laughs> yes. Uh, and we were on the uh, seventh tee, a glorious day, and um, yeah, I, I I thought about in my backyard at Pebble Beach. I I just I could see it. I could see there was a elevation change, and you had all the elements drop, ready and, to mean, go. It looked kind of like to me they they could have dropped the seventh hole right there. Except I don't have the Pacific Ocean right in my backyard. We're looking at it through the front, but in the backyard, no, you're blocked from view. So I went in and I said, I got an idea. Let's build a replica of the seventh hole. And anyway, it was an eight-month project. I was down on my hands and knees working and molding and shaping the greens. It's half the size. It putts exactly like the seventh hole. I got all the topography maps from Chris Dahlhammer. Who's you are the, quite crazy. Yeah, so we got all the, 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 the balancing things and measuring things. So every putt breaks just like the green does. And then I stepped it back to be half the distance and and move the earth around to make half the vertical drop. And I got golf balls modulated to go half the distance. So you play the shot just as you do as you're on You seven. really are quite interesting. And I sold it this way. <laughs> Honey. Honey. <laughs> there is, I don't even know what to give you to express my love for you, but how about if I was to build our wedding chapel in the backyard, okay? <laughs> Has nothing to do with golf. So I built I built a replica of our wedding chapel. Forget the seventh hole. Yeah, yeah. And if we'd been married somewhere else, I would have built that back there for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and when the water bill comes in, you can say, well, I built it at half the size, so the bill is half the price. Oh, it's, it's gone down more than half. It was, it was a great move on a lot of levels. And I, I, I really didn't want it to kind of get out into the public arena because I thought people would, would, would take it the wrong way, you know? Right. And, um, Anyway, I kept it kind of under wraps. I would people would come up and see it, and they would be dazzled by it. I'm not going to kid you; it, it, it's stunning. So, but people would come up and see it and say, "I got to take a picture." I said, "No, no, no." Today, social media, no one can post. I don't want anyone to know about it. Um, I had my friends from Golf Digest were the first who wanted to do a story on it. I said, "No, no," to Jerry Tardy, the longtime man in charge, and um, I said, "One, maybe one day when the time is right." Well, Nick Faldo, 
We're having a party. I love Nick Faldo. Nick's Another amazing golfer. Sir Nick. Sir Nick, I'm Sir sorry. Nick. Yes. Sir Nick. Uh, and rightfully so. We had a CBS party. All the, the team, the production team, the tech, technical team. We had almost 200 people on the property. We're having, you know, food and drinks and bars over here. And Nick gets up when there's a gathering around them, a pretty sizable throng. He knocked it in the hole. Place went crazy. No way. Yeah, all of our colleagues. And he wasn't the first to make a hole in one, but he knocked it in. And my first thought was, oh boy, uh, his friend is into social media. And I run over and say, hold on before, please don't. She goes, it's too late. I already tweeted it out. No. And like two million hits later, you know, the, the word is out. So now, you know, now it's just I let it, I let it go. You let it loose. Yeah, I mean, Dan Patrick's done some stuff up there and played it on his show. Phil Mickelson made a hole-in-one this year before the U.S. Open and and whatever Instagrammed it or tweeted tweeted it out or what, what I'm sounding like a dinosaur here the, sorry uh, but it's it's out there and I get tweeted it out or whatever it's yeah. called <laughs> snap faced it snap, out snap faced it <laughs> okay <laughs> so um, yeah I think you know more about the social media stuff than you think well, you hear all the language if not I mean yeah, yeah. viral and yeah Face viral sounds like snapping. something you don't want to get close to. But face snapping, there's something in that. <laughs> you know who said that? That was Bill Belichick. He was making a point how little he knows about it. He called something either you know, Insta Chat or Snap Face or one of those deals. And I just thought that was perfect. That is me. Do people know who your teams are? Like who you support? You mean like my rooting interest? Yeah. I don't really, yeah, I got to tell you, after all I these mean, years. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to No, no, say, I don't really have any. And that's, is that right? That's totally Which legit. Which is probably the best way. I root for people. Way. Yeah. And I have to harness that. I don't want people to know that I no. I really think this is a special guy. Team, yeah, or a special team, yeah. woman that I'm, you know, I'm broadcasting whatever their event might be. And I admire the way that they live their lives. They're, they're doing great things for charity or great family people and you, know, you can't help but get to know the subjects you're covering because mm. you've done it for so many years. Now, on the air, you have to be neutral. And yes. I think my commentary is pretty much down the middle, even though fans will hear whatever they want to hear. But you do emote, which I think is also so important. I mean, you, you again, going back to what I said before, you have that sense of occasion. You, know, you seem to know when to be emotional or to give the audience a sense of, of the significance. Well, it comes naturally. Yeah. You know, it, it, you can't fake it. Um, uh, and I'm an emotional guy. Mm. We had a good cry here talking yeah. about our dropping our daughters off yeah. at school. Well, when I see something that's extraordinary and you know what it means to them, I mean, I do get caught up in it. Take Tiger winning the Masters yeah. this year. Well, this is a that. this is a wonderful story because we have to remember that you go back to the, his first win in '97, right? And I knew him five years before that when he played in the LA Open for his first tour event when he was 16 years old. So you you know this player, you see him, you witness that. Was was 97 with a with a ball rolled up and went around and curled? What, that was 05. That was 05. That was 05, that was at 16 when he chipped in and the ball hung on the lip and Vern yeah. Lundquist was Can there Can I just the ask call. you, is there a more extraordinary golf shot, pressure shot, like have you ever seen it was almost like that ball was CGI'd to sit on the no, end. No, the there. way the way it hung on the lip. Yeah. And there was the Nike swoosh logo. Yes. I mean, it was like someone would say, "Let's set up this shot. Let's put the ball you this way." You had nothing way, to do with position. that, right? No, I I didn't have any orchestration behind it. Okay. But it was an amazing moment. Oh my, and I, I mean, tell you, the man who called it on the scene there was the great Vern Lundquist, longtime teammate, thirty some odd years together, and. Uh, 
he captured it so raw naturally and i can still remember in your life have you ever seen anything seen, like that yeah. I mean, what a natural thing to come out yeah but 97 was uh, i called it the win for the ages yeah when he putted out at 18 he won by 12 shots and it, he was 21 21 years old he set the masters scoring record for 72 holes largest margin of victory in history and um, and the youngest to ever win the green jacket, and he, he just it was there was no drama in terms of what was going to happen with the outcome, but it was the most watched golf event of all time. People were watching. Uh, he pulled uh, people in like he nobody did, and you know there had tremendous social significance to that to that moment and that victory, and it just it was so rich. So now you have a chance to chronicle, document his whole career, amazing career. I've run out of superlatives, forgive me. Yeah. Because uh, most of his wins have come on CBS. Not because he likes to play better on CBS. It's just we have the most no, tonnage you of sporting events. Yeah. Well, we have sure. more tour events. We have more. We have two of the four majors. Yeah. And I don't ask him, hey, be nice if you Tiger, won this listen, week. Tiger, <laughs> listen, win this one for me, will you? But the, the point of it is, is that you, at times, you're challenged in his prime. He won last week by nine shots. He's winning this week going into Sunday by eight shots. How do you tell a different story week to yeah. week? I mean, it was a it was de, it was a demand on the storytelling side of it, and I like that challenge. But now, of course, we all know what happened. The floor dropped down on him, and his whole life went tumbling down. Physically, he was a mess. Yeah, you know, with surgeries and all. Got in his head. He couldn't get his I head. I never together. thought he would ever. A lot of folks never thought he would win again. I never said that. I will tell you that I got asked a million times would he ever win again. I said I never. He's an extraordinary athlete. Don't, and his heart and his mind don't ever question his ability to win again. And, of course, he did this year. And that scene off the 18th green when his kids were waiting for him, and you were able to uh, juxtapose that moment with the 97 hug when with his, his father. Yeah. And now he's the father. Oh, my goodness. How do you even come up with a script better than that? Uh, and for our purposes... We didn't say anything for nearly three minutes on the air. Once he putted out, I called it the return to glory. Mm. And it had nothing to do with just the sports glory of being back on top. Glory to me was a richer word that had more of an internal significance to it. The glory of a man's life um, that he had been able to turn it around and to see, and I was trying to foreshadow what I trusted was gonna happen and did happen, when he met his family, stepping oh, and off you the could hear, you could hear, you could hear that moment and that that intimacy with his son and hugging. I mean, it was so. But people don't see him as a father. They don't. We don't have a yeah. window into that world. Nor never are we seen supposed that side to. Of him for, you know, like he's he tries to be as private as he can with his life, and it's been yeah. as we know, it's been uh, challenging. But uh, you, you know, you wonder well. Did he just completely torch his relationship long-term with his kids? You know, a lot of people didn't know. I had heard, being out there in the middle of it all with the PGA Tour, about what a great and wonderful father he was. But no one had ever seen it. Because Charlie had never seen his dad win a golf tournament. Mm -hmm. So his son had um, had said to his fourth-grade class coming back from the, from the Christmas holiday, everyone was asked to stand up and announce what their New Year's resolution or the New Year's goal was. And Charlie stood up and said that his goal for the year was to see his dad win a golf tournament and to be there to watch mm -hmm. it happen. Well, that wasn't lost on Tiger. 
And uh, I think what you said a minute ago, what you were articulating was the intensity yes. of that hug between a father and a son. Yeah. It was so real. The mic was right in to the point where you could hear it. You could hear the the cries of of joy and tears. And and, you could, the the love was palpable. uh, It was was just, it just just burst through the the television screen. It came right through. And and the the, the intimacy, I think, was suddenly, suddenly we saw a tiger that we hadn't seen for. That's exactly it. Like, you know, what it did is like, my gosh, he is back on top. Yeah. And you know what? And there For was a son to there. react that way, it wasn't like a, hey, congrats, yeah. Dad. It told you yeah. the commitment he's made to being a father. And that's, I think that's what was the richest thing of it all, was to see the love that his children had for him. And then, of course, uh, we had cameras on him walking all the way in. Yes. So he signed his card, and Nick and I laid out for full three minutes the crowd is chanting tiger tiger yes. and all we could do was sully the moment if we tried to put a caption in there that's what you said but jim i think you did not know that that moment was i mean it wasn't scripted you no. didn't know that th- that intimacy was going to happen you didn't know that in hindsight it was going to be such a powerful moment but in that moment you get paid to talk. You get paid to say things. You get paid to share and give perspective to the audience about what's happening. And in that moment, for you to sit there and know. Instincts. Yeah. It's just instincts. And as it was unfolding, you must have, I presume you were thinking, again, I don't, I, I've got, you knew to wait. And that's, well, it, that's it's, experience. It, would it, you it, have done that when you, in 1985? I would like to think that I would have, uh, but uh, it just, I think experience plays a hand in it, and I, I really do believe that if you try to insert yourself in a scene that was that big and that powerful, you're doing a disservice to your audience, and uh, it, it's just not the right move. I just followed my instincts on that, and I'll, I will tell you this: I was pretty torn up too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if you tried to, as a father, it, you know, it, it just you felt I, it. I really, I could just felt it. It mm-hmm. was just um, over the top wonderfully uh, powerful and I and we, we talked about his son and his daughter too we're going to give Sam her due for having a hug and a embrace with her dad that was equally as uh, intense so when we finally did come back into uh, the commentary I made a comment about Nick I never thought that what I saw in that very spot in 97 between Tiger and his yeah. father that moment could ever be topped I think I think it just I think we just did. And he said, Jim Nance, we will never see a moment bigger than this in the game of golf. Never, ever. And then I just lastly added that moment with his his children. I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, If you're a parent and that didn't bring a tear to your eye, you're not human. And then we just laid out again. And um, it felt like the right thing to do. Uh, But good for him. And that's what makes sports so oh, great is yeah. this unscripted just like my job it has to be unscripted it has to be reactionary it's extemporaneous speaking you're not reading off of anything you have to see something and react to it right away but you don't know what that's going to be you know you and don't go that into that must day be tremendously exciting and also you're like nervously excited about what could happen but and not knowing and then just being ready with armed with years and years of experience and 
knowledge, background that you can call on. You can open up a filing cabinet and pull something out to be <laughs> I able to. I love the way you said that. Because <laughs> I actually use a version of that sometimes. Thankfully, my mind has uh, served me well. I have a whole dossier on any number of subjects. Tiger, I've known him now for, what, since I first met him. And I'm not saying I know him that well. Some players I know better than I know Tiger. But for 27 years and 50-some-odd golf tournaments, he's won on our watch. Nine major championships he's won on our watch. Countless interviews and victory ceremonies. I feel like I know him pretty well. Yeah. I don't need to sit down and call a golf tournament with, with that file out in front of me. It's yeah. in my head. It's, and I got feel it. comfortable enough that I can try to dial something up out of that try to anyway that well, fits the moment i think what it is is in in robert green's book mastery he talks about where you become a master and you've become a, a master in 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 sharing sports moments with us uh you're able to go get into a state of flow meaning you're not having to think you're you're able to instinctively react and you can I agree with that pull on all of that that depth of knowledge so as time goes on you're only getting better when you have a moment that's that big i'm not worried about camera cuts and things like that and if they if a replay rolls up i'm going to react to it yes and they they do their thing and they know how to do that better than anybody and i'm just going to try to react to what i'm seeing on the screen but i'm totally lost in that moment i, I think people respect you even more, not just because you're more experienced, but because they know that you've sat there and you've called 34 you've been masters. been through this. You've been through seven Super Bowl broadcasts. You've so been through like, 34. This guy's credible. And then yeah. just the idea that it's kind of like the analogy would be like a, a, a player who gets a play from the coach who says, okay, go out and execute this. So you get told, okay, I can execute that. As opposed to the player who then is in the moment and all hell breaks loose. And suddenly, there's no time for someone to tell you, hey, Jim, do this, do that, go do... You just have to then, in that moment, in that instant, react to, all hell's breaking loose, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to... It's a Hail Mary pass down the end of the... It's Aaron Rodgers, you know, it's that big Hail Mary pass down the end, right? I've seen that. Yeah. Called that. <laughs> yeah, called that. Yeah, I called that. One of, one of the great moments you've called. Yeah, well, it's, it's amazing, I guess, through time and repetitions, you're going to you're going to have certain incredible stories that land in your lap. But you just described Tom Brady in, yes. in a great way. You know, he's, here he is going to be 42 in August. And Quarterback of, of, of the New England Patriots. New England Patriots for those people, because people listen all around the I world. I guess Jimmy. you're right. You I, think he's, I, think, I think he's got a worldwide following. Well, but he I'm, does. I, I, you know, he I'll does, but, but, you know, people yeah. also do, you know, don't know who probably, Richie McCourt is. You know? Probably the greatest American you know, football star of yes. all time. The winningest. But he has all those years of experience when the chaos is happening and the game's coming down to the wire. He is a total picture of tranquility. Yeah. And he's going to figure out how to execute and get through that on instincts, not some sort of robotic way of, okay, i got to do this, got to do that. He's just going to go with the flow. It's fluid. He's going to figure out how to get his team yeah. to the ultimate destination, to the end zone, and win the game. Uh, and it's, it's a gift. Have you ever called something – and being so caught up in the moment of calling it that you're not even aware that this is one of the great moments in sport, that you're just so caught up with calling what's happening and then you kind of get on the other side of it and you think, oh my God, what did we just witness? Yeah, <laughs> that happens for sure. Yeah? Uh, that, that, I mean, I, I can think, oh, again, oh. for your worldwide audience, we have a thing over here called the Final Four yes. in college basketball. And I've, I've 
been a part of broadcasting that now 34 <clears throat> years. We had a championship game a few years ago that came down to a last-second long yes. three-point shot. Uh, and Chris Jenkins made it for Villanova to beat North Carolina. And that moment, coming down the court, a pass being made, back to Jenkins and puts up the shot. Part two of this interview to be continued. Jim Nance recounts more exciting moments from the front line of the most famous sporting events in the United States and the excitement of calling the Super Bowl with former Dallas Cowboys quarterback Tony Romo. You don't want to miss more stories of action from the voice of sports himself, Jim Nance. Hello, friends. Jim Nance here, and it's a pleasure to be a part with my great friend Phil here on Bucket Podcast. Hope you enjoy. To see more great interviews, go to philcogan.com and subscribe to Bucket with Phil Kogan wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider rating and reviewing us and follow Bucket, that's Bucket with an I-T, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter at Phil Kogan. Today's podcast proudly brought to you by Bucket Nutrition. Great tasting, high performance nutrition to power your adventure. Don't forget to go to Amazon.com, search for Bucket Nutrition, and use promo code BUCKET10, that's Bucket with an IT, and you'll get a 10% discount on all Bucket Nutritional products. Just wait until you try the Bucket Booster with Manuka Honey.